Support for this podcast is provided by Cressa. Cressa is the occupier's champion, the world's premier corporate real estate advisory firm, exclusively serving startup businesses and major global organizations alike. As a Portland pillar for over 25 years, Cressa partners with its clients throughout the entire project lifecycle, from workplace strategy and discovery through the deal transaction and project management delivery of space. Cressa partners without conflict and applies integrated expertise to make your business better. Go to cressa.com Portland to connect with the Portland advisory team. From that cast creative, I'm Dan Bruton, and this is the PDX Executive Podcast. A show where I talk with inspiring leaders who are shaping the future of Portland, Oregon. Every week, I sit down with business executives, startup founders, and community leaders to dive into their career journey and get insights into the impactful work they're doing in our slice of the great Pacific Northwest. To go wipe and come back, it's like, well, this is who we are. <laughs> totally. It, it's a little humanity, I think, and it's it's great. Sometimes for myself, a little too much humanity when the kid's banging down the door, I'm on a call, yeah. but it's all good. Well, hey, thanks both of you for doing this. Sure. Absolutely. And, appreciate you taking some time. Yeah. So we're, we're recording and we can, we can add it a little bit. Uh, I think the best place to start, um, I was just telling Corey, is a couple of weeks ago, my, my son got bit by a neighbor dog and we went to an urgent care and this is before I, you know, I knew about brave care before um, your team reached out to me. I was just like, I wish that there was one just for kids. Uh, he, he had a good experience, but it was, you know, as you know, it's a little different. So I'm really excited to get into this. And I think maybe the, the first way to go is have each of you introduce yourself and then we'll get into the, just the origin stories. So, um, Corey, I would love for you to just uh, give a little background on yourself and I'll uh, we'll go from there. Yeah. My name is Corey Fish. I'm the chief medical officer at Brave Care. Um, I've been a pediatrician for about 10 years now. Um, started my career in, in training in Austin, Texas, uh, moved out to Montana for a spell and then moved to Portland and was doing primary care here uh, before uh, before starting Brave Care. So, so Darius, how did you, you know, get, have you give your background, link, um, connect with Corey and the, just the story of the, how the company got started. Yeah, um, uh, a great and painful beginning for me. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, founder CEO. I come from a consumer tech background. Um, I was both a designer and engineer, so kind of built my early Web 2.0 and social internet products a lot in the design space. I did co-found a Portland-based company called Sitebox, mm -hmm. uh, which was in the subscription contact lens space, acquired by Johnson Johnson in 2017. Um, but actually, my wife and I are both born and raised in Hawaii. We'd moved back. Uh, we are here now, sheltering during COVID. Uh, spent four years sort of thinking this would be the forever place for us, and I realized that I was actually depressed at the end of that. Um, because for better or worse, I'm really wired to enjoy the challenges and chaos of kind of starting companies. It, if I push myself to that level, that's where I find fulfillment. And Hawaii is very beautiful, but pushing you to mental challenge limits is not what it really is good at. So <laughs> we had moved back to Portland, Oregon, uh, which is, the you know, we've lived in the Bay Area as well, but wanted a kind of a really better community orientation for our three young kids. Um, and so we're happy there. And my four-year-old daughter at the time uh, launched herself off a bike ramp onto her face, was the first emergency care experience we had with any of our kids, um, was clearly kind of a, a tactical moment of panic for me. But it's like, all right, you're getting chin stitches. I know what's coming. But we weren't even 
you know, we were across town at a bike park. And so had I even known what the best option near my house was, I wasn't near my house. So luckily the front desk credit to Corey and some smart marketing had handed flyers out. And so here you got this blood all over you and a kid. Here's a pediatric urgent care nearby. <clears throat> so on the drive over, I'd basically gone through this. I've been to an urgent care myself. I don't know if the care was really great, but I've also been in the ER as an adult. I really didn't want to take her into that experience. So had low expectations uh, pulling up into the clinic parking lot, but getting the clinic, it was, you know, what I would want in a modern, comfortable aesthetic, like, oh, this, this place is legit. Hmm. Um, you know, Corey and the providers were clearly like really good with kids. Um, she's definitely my shyest one, but after a little inhaled uh, thing to help her with the pain, she was very comfortable and loose. Um, and so, you know, basically Corey game face on, stitched her face up, did a great job at it. I think he likes to periodically check her chin to make sure all is healed incredibly well. Um, and so I went away with my first urgent care experience as a good one. Longer answer to your question. The next weekend, my one-year-old had croup along with Strider. I knew neither of what those things were at the mm -hmm. time, but my wife was out of town both these weekends. I'm feeling all the pain of what it's like to be a single parent. Right. And overnight I'm, you know, Googling cough symptoms because I can tell something's wrong with her. I mean, she's kind of palish, like, this is the uh, parenting is the most important job I've ever had that I have no training or qualifications <laughs> to do that job. Yeah. It's also the one I really want to do the best at, which is a constant state of like, I have no idea what I'm doing. Um, and, and so I know something's wrong. I basically had a terrible overnight with her where Googling is just the worst things possible. Yeah. And so grandma came to watch my other two and I went back to see Corey. Um, and I could tell from the second visit, this one was more serious to him. You know, Corey's like game face was on. Um, it's like, okay, this one's more serious. And I was there for almost three hours, not because the care was bad or there was a wait. I was seen immediately. It was that that was thoughtful care for where she was at. She inhaled the steroid to get her esophagus to relax. Mm. His feedback to me was like, I got time. If you got time, she's progressing, not rapidly, but she's okay. Basically, trust me. If we have to do a second dose, she's going to go to the ER. I don't think that's the best thing for you or her. Let's give it space, which I really appreciated not being yeah. rushed through holding my, I don't know what she was, 28 something pounds at the time in this chair. I was like, do you have a different chair I can sit in? So he gave me his office chair in his office and I sat in a more comfortable chair. And I had an hour of kind of the most uncomfortable pain a parent goes through, which is, is she going to be okay? And I'm helpless in this. I have no ability to actually change the outcome of the situation for this thing I care most about. So the second visit for me was emotionally traumatic in kind of the perfect way for me to go, you know what? The thing I love most is by the aesthetic of the room that I'm in is kids. I've got three of my own. I'm on the board of the Montessori preschool. Whatever I do next, I want to build something for parents and kids. Mm. And when I was leaving uh, that second visit, Corey said, hey, you know, she's fine, but you got to look for this traction thing here at the rib. And it's like, dude, I don't know what that looks like. I don't want to be responsible <laughs> for that. You yeah. give me your cell phone number and I'll just text you if mm. there's something that I think is wrong. So I'd left with his phone number and pretty quickly followed up with like, would you meet me for coffee? I think healthcare has a lot of room to improve. I know what it's like to build consumer products. I'm a parent with young kids. I just want to ask you a hundred questions. Um, first coffee meeting, you know, went well. And I think what I learned now in hindsight is, you know, I've seen other founders who had a challenging experience partnering with, with doctors who are often used to being the leaders in the control of the thing. And so, uh -huh. kind of finding a partnership there is difficult. 
for me, I already trust Corey with the life of my children. Don't have a higher level of trust than that. And I think on his end, as he mentioned, his background kind of going through rural where you're the last line of defense for a kid, then going and starting his own thing was, you know, welcoming the opportunity to find a great partner to help him scale what he was doing. And at the time where we saw that beginning was there's 25 million ER visits a year for kids. Nearly all of those are not life threatening. That's not the best care experience for the child. The ER also charges 10 times as much for the same procedures we provide. So where we started was like, great, let me just help you come build operational efficiency and good software and good technology around the best urgent care possible for kids. And let's build that as a national healthcare company. It's where we started in basically the beginning of, of last year, which is like 12 years ago in COVID time. So just small ambitions. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I think it goes to what we've sort of refined now in our purpose statement of what we, we do, we're building modern healthcare for kids. The mm-hmm. purpose is really um, basically a, a healthy child is the first step to them reaching their potential. Everything is on top of a kid's health. If they're not well or healthy, they're not going to school. They're not learning. If they're developmentally behind, they're not physically able to reach their potential. And so that is the most ambitious statement for us possible, which is like, we just want kids to reach their potential. Yeah. Well, I love that story. And I, you know, as a parent myself, it it just really resonates with me. And I think, and that's how Brave Care was born. I'd like to maybe step back and just, uh, Corey, maybe talk a little bit about just the urgent care industry quote unquote it's been around i think since the 70s if i'm not wrong but it seems like the past maybe 10 years it's just exploded and i'm sure there's like um Darius was saying about just the cost of going to er um can you just talk about i guess the evolution of the industry and we can get specifically dive into you know brave care yeah yeah definitely and i think it's important to point out like you know although darius mentioned we started out doing urgent care we've since you know realized that as many areas for improvement as there is for kids pediatric urgent care there are just as many if not more areas for improvement in just kids health care in mm-hmm. general so things like primary care um you know your your annual you know checkups are more often than that for the littler ones vaccines you know developmental tracking all of those things so okay. so we've since kind of evolved into into all of that. Um, but as far as urgent care and in the industry specifically, um, yeah, you know, it, it was a thing that wasn't really, you know, a, a phrase, you know, back 30, 40, 50 years ago. Um, and I think the reason for that is kind of akin to what I was doing and seeing in Montana. It used to be that the primary care doctors did everything, you know, I mean, the classic family practice model is, you know, the family practice doc delivering babies, doing, you know, cesarean sections, um, you know, coming to your house after hours when you're sick with the brown, you know, provider bag, you know, whatever. Um, but I think, you know, that there, that, that has become increasingly less common. And I think the biggest driver of that really is, um, you know, that the way the healthcare system operates and, and, uh, you know, more and more, you know, healthcare providers are getting, you know, reimbursed less and less by the insurance companies. And so you're like, you know, their, their reimbursements are going down, you're working harder, uh, to try to, you know, provide a living for your family. And so, it, it's it's kind of like your people are starting to scale back because that that um, you know that model has just become not feasible um, you know for that and a few other reasons and so it's left this gap kind of between your primary care provider and the emergency room and I think what 
folks started to realize is that emergency rooms, one, people didn't really like going to, two, are largely unnecessary for the bulk of what goes wrong with a person. I mean, I'm glad emergency rooms exist. They do their, you know, they have a very important life-saving function, Um, you know, major trauma, major illnesses, accidents, those types of things. ER is the perfect place for you to go to, but for, you know, 80% of what you experience for your acute healthcare needs is not that thankfully. So it's, it's how, you know, what, what, how can we offer that set of services to fill that gap in a way that makes more sense for the patients and also, you know, saves money across the healthcare system. And you talked a little bit about something, that connection. And I know Darius, you were talking about how you got Corey's number, you're texting with him and I, you know, the Brave Care site, that's kind of part of your service, have this direct, you know, I grew up in a small town, my primary doctor delivered me, right? So it's strange as I grow up to be a parent. I think a lot of parents feel this way, uh, how that personalization's kind of, it's gone. And I think Darius, with your background and starting Sightbox um, and having that uh, experience, it's a, a huge opportunity, I would think. But Yeah, I, you know, and I think what comes out of that, which is this great hybrid, is I was similarly born in a small town hospital. My the doctor who delivered me did my well visits till I graduated and right. moved out of that town. And I, I I think there's really that value and I know you, there's a personal relationship here. But often what happens when we talk to other providers that were maybe interested in joining us that, you know, they hear that we're this kind of technology enabled clinic and they go, oh, well, I want to maintain the personal relationship I have with my patients. Like you're just experiencing bad technology, not good technology. The, the technology we're building gets out of the way so that you can have a personal relationship mm. with a patient. It's not a screen in between the two. It's a, a tool you use to better connect um, in the systems that we've built. You know, it's an average pediatrician maybe has a couple thousand patients in their panel. How are you personally remembering all the details to know all those people? What we can build is something that if you call us on the phone at 2 a.m., we know who you are. I'm not asking you, oh, saying your kid's name wrong or something because I didn't hear you. It pulls up our system. I have the context of the visits. That That is right. good personalization that makes you feel like we know you, that we hear you. And that's often, I think a lot, Corey could probably better speak to this, but you know, you're doing two things. It's like you're treating a child and you're educating a parent, but you're also really making sure that that parent feels heard. Like that has a big impact on the visit of that. You, you heard what I was saying, you, you, you listened to me and I got to share my concerns and then I'm more likely to hear you and listen. So mm-hmm. the challenge for you know, great pediatric providers like Corey is you're doing multiple things at once. You're really triaging the kid and healing, you know, taking good medical care. But there's this other like third party in the room who's kind of a key part of this experience that I'm also tangentially like maintaining. And so we want to build software that really makes a parent feel like you know who I am and, you're, and I trust you. And to your point, if you had a care experience in an urgent care, we want to make the environment incredibly comfortable for the kid because, and this speaks to telehealth, which you can talk about, you're going to end up with better care when a kid is more comfortable because like my oldest who has lost her mind in our clinic a couple of times around <laughs> shots, like it's hard to treat that kid. So if yeah. she came in in pain and she's locked up and defensive and combative, it's harder for Corey to really get at what's really going on here with this kid. And so this is the other point about telehealth we can come back to is that telehealth depends solely on precision of language for me to communicate to you, my doctor, what's wrong with me, Hmm. my three-year-old not doing that at all. But even my eight-year-old, if she's really in pain, is this going to be ow? 
that's where you put hands on bodies and somebody like Corey, who's like, Oh, this referral thing here. And so um, it's technology enabled, but tech is not replacing the in clinic pediatric care experience. Yeah. And Corey, how do you feel? Um, like you said, medicine, maybe, um, maybe throwing words and generalizing is kind of gone away from that. And so this is, you know, obviously you're reestablishing that. Um, what's just your maybe perspectives on, reestablishing that connection, but as a provider also have so much to manage. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, um, you know, the, the connection, the connection is really, is really what I think separates like a provider who's like a good technician, you know, versus somebody who's, who's like, you know, where you're going to go home and you're going to tell all your friends and family about such a great experience you had, you know, Mm -hmm. there's, there's plenty of great technicians. There's plenty of great mechanics out there. It's like you, you read the book, you know, all the knowledge, you have all the things and, and you can, you can absolutely diagnose a patient, but there's more to it than that. Um, and I think that unfortunately gets missed um, a lot of the time. So, you know, it's vitally important. And even though we're not in the middle of, you know, Southwestern Montana, we mm-hmm. can definitely, um, you know, build some, you know, build some tools around that. Um, and then just the way we interact with families and patients. And, and yes, it's, it's, and that's what really, I think, separates pediatrics as a specialty from like general practice. It's like, yes, a general practitioner could probably see and take care of a kid. And most of the times it would probably be fine, but, but it's, it's, it really is a specialty and unto itself. It sounds cliche, but kids are not little adults. We say that in pediatrics all of the time. And it really is a, a, it's a special set of skills for me to walk into a room you know, lay hands on a child, explain what's going on to the parent, and then be able to look at that parent's face and know instantly whether I've addressed their concerns or not. And I always know when I have and when I haven't, because you can just see it all over their faces. And that's when, you know, myself and our providers that we have here ask that next question, which is, did I answer all your questions today? And you could see them hesitate. And then they sort of say, well, no. And then, and then they go, and then they go in this direction that like you maybe one hadn't even thought to worry about because it was so far away from the initial concern or two, you had already kind of had that inner dialogue in your head about like ruling the thing out. So as Darius mentioned before, you know, a a good pediatric provider, a good provider, you know, is coming into a, a room or an interaction with a patient with a whole bucket full of possibilities and there's this whole, like, there's a dialogue with like six people in all of our heads. And, and we're just, you know, putting stuff in the bucket, taking stuff out, talking, bouncing stuff around. And patients don't see any of that because we're not good at explaining that process, I don't think. Mm. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it's, it's, you know, it's something that that parent was worried about where you'd already thrown that possibility on the garbage pile, you know, two seconds after walking in the room, because I can look at that child and say, okay, I'm not worried about meningitis because that kid's sitting there playing there with their teddy bear, but maybe the parent is. And so you need to take that time to explain that. So it's, it's all of those things that kind of go into establishing that connection and, and why that connection is so important. Absolutely. And I think with, you know, as a parent with all the information we have now frantically, like you were saying, Darius, Googling stuff, it's, it's, it's tough. So well, let's get into the business a little bit. Um, you're the co-founder of Sitebox. You're very savvy, obviously. It sounds like Y Combinator, uh, you know, is involved in this. And for the people who, 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 you know, know who Y Combinator is and just the, in the technology space have been following Sitebox, um, this is, you're not a rookie. 
you're, uh, this is, you wouldn't be doing this, right. If there was a big opportunity. So, um, I'd love for you to break down how do you think this can scale or what you can share about, you know, expansion and just maybe the technology piece of it too. I think what's beneficial for me is that I've fortunate to have found success in the long career, but like, you know, been doing internet product building for 15 plus years, which is like a long time in the internet world. Yeah. And I'm happy that I feels like, and this is such like a, maybe the cliche, everybody always feels like my generation was the last great generation. But when I got into building internet products, it really felt like it was a culture of makers. We were not MBAs building like, cause there was this financial opportunity as the sole motivation. It was like, we just loved making and building. So we were making things that we felt like would change the world or, you know, unite millions of people. I'm still sort of oriented towards that. You know, I, I have gotten to learn that there are large financial outcomes from building successful companies and that's important for us, but it's secondary to the real opportunity was dramatically improve healthcare outcomes for kids. Every parent deserves access to the quality of care we can provide regardless if they live in a tier one city and can provide, you know, pay for a concierge level doctor like you know, and, and to make sure that, you know, both the incentives of let's build something massive that has a big financial outcome is weighted against delivering the most important thing, which is great care is early on. One of the first things we did is Corey and I worked on a, phys, uh, basically he has the physician's pledge or Hippocratic oath, which mm -hmm. starts with do not do no harm and the other things. I, as the person who run this company, I don't have that pledge. I can actively put procedures in place that make him harder for him to do that because it generates more of a financial return. So we wrote basically a healthcare company pledge, which is a sister pledge to the physicians to make sure that we always had a measuring stick against of, you know, are we incrementally improving something for revenue at the expense of a care experience? Mm -hmm. And don't do that. You know, I enjoy startups because it's problem solving. And I think you're, you're taking an easy out or you're failing at creative solving problem solving. If you're just going to not say, what is the opportunity here that dramatically improves the care and makes us more mm -hmm. money or creates this better financial return? So we baked it into what we've done all along. Um, but yeah, the opportunity is those, those, whatever it is, if it's 80%, a 20 million current ER visits a year shouldn't be there. So they need, you need to have national expansion of pediatric urgent cares to capture those after hour and those urgent needs. But we can also, as Corey mentioned, we, we provide complete care, which is primary urgent and remote care, um, all powered on the same system, staffed with the same pediatric experts, which creates these efficiencies. Um, to the other point about why urgent care is having its moment, I think the millennial 22 to 39 were often the ones who are having kids i'm right up against the limit of that mm -hmm. um we're, we're we're wired to this on demand everything i want yeah. my uber to pick me up my amazon to give me my package and netflix to show me what i want but at the same time i want that personalization i want you to know exactly who i am and what i want and so for a lot of existing legacy providers jumping into technology while maintaining that leadership in the personalization is very difficult to do. We're building the complete full stack experience so that we're not dependent on like, oh, well, we can't personalize the check-in process because we use a third party person for that. It's, we know who you are. You can now check in or soon with our mobile app right before you even walk in the door instead of filling out the paper form, which I just did at another clinic recently. <laughs> um, you know, it's basically allows us to build this more efficient system 
And when you do that, we're able to create a, the, the full nuts and bolts of businesses. We shorten the payback period for these kinds of clinics, which does make it a venture scale opportunity. Whereas mm. if typically it's a two, three year return, like, yeah, urgent cares are good businesses of good unit economics. They throw off cash at their steady state. They just take a longer period to get to that point, which doesn't match a you know, direct curve for venture, it becomes more like a debt financed or private equity kind of play. But by shortening the payback period, by having a lot of IP and, you know, enterprise technology value, we're creating a different kind of company that has a different trajectory, which allows us to raise the venture capital that we've done to date. Future capital will let us expand into new markets and sort of move towards that. You know, we want to be the children's healthcare brand in the country. I'm excited for it. I think it's great. Just a, a great offering. Well, a couple more things we'd love to talk about is, and not to go too much into telehealth, but it's COVID. <laughs> We're all using, I mean, our family has used telehealth 20 times since March. Um, how is that changing what you do or just the industry in general? I mean, it's, it, had been, it had been happening, but it's just, you know, it's having its moment, right? So. Yeah, I think um, it, it's, I'll just say one thing about that. And then Darius, you know, I, I know has, has thoughts about it too. Um, it's interesting to hear, um, you know, such a conversation around telehealth. And I think it's, it's certainly a useful tool for what it does. Um, we're actually in the middle of um, a big retrospective chart review that we're aiming to have published in a, a major pediatric journal at the end of the month in regards to telehealth utilization. Um, and, you know, just asking the question, how often is telehealth likely to be useful for pediatric patients? And um, while we haven't, you know, done the full data dive yet, um, at least some preliminary passes would seem to indicate that, you know, well over 60% of visits are actually not appropriate for telehealth at all, because uh, for those, for those reasons that, that Darius spoke on earlier, which is, you know, I, I can sit here and I can ask you very detailed, intricate questions and get very detailed answers in return um, to try to figure out what's going on with you. Um, if you try that with a with a four year old, I mean, it's impossible, right? I mean, even even in the clinic, it, it'll be, it'll be, when I'm asking a four year old, I'm like, oh, you know, does your you know does your throat hurt? And they'll say, yeah. And I'll say, uh, and then you can you can start to see it happen. I'll say, oh, does your nose hurt? And they'll say, yeah. And I'll say, does your big toe hurt? And they'll say, yeah, my big toe hurts. And it's like, okay. Like we're just, we just got to look at the kid right. to see what we can see. Right. So, um, you know, and, until, until we have a reliable tool that allows us to, you know, Star Trek examine the kid remotely, which, you know, there, there, there really isn't one that exists currently that would be easy for parents to use. I played around with some of the ones that are on the market. Hmm. I find it hard to use. And so if I'm struggling, like you can't expect a parent to be able to reliably use that tool. So I think it's, it's useful as, as an additional tool in the toolbox, it's never going to replace what we do until we have that technology piece. Hmm. Yeah. The, to sort of echo that from the, you know, I am a consumer software builder. So if anything, I should be wired to like, Corey, we're doing all software <laughs> telehealth. Right. It's just not the case. That's not how you build really great care um, where it, it becomes useful. And uh, well, first to Corey's point, you know, not only is it like maybe 60% couldn't have been done, that the comfort of a child and information extraction might even push it up higher because you can't do that. But if we look at even visits that, you know, required a shot, a stitch, an x-ray, a lab, a breathing treatment as my daughter got, I mean, almost all the visits, I, I mean, I'm a frequent flyer at Brave Care myself with my three <laughs> kids. 
the vast majority of those visits couldn't have been done. We're going to get the Star Trek or the Amazon health board that floats around the house and goes over your kid's head and does a bunch of stuff. At some point, that will get better. But where telehealth really adds value in pediatrics is in, it's the triage, which I mentioned before. I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm overreacting. We don't have multi-generational households anymore. So I don't know what croup is. Mom's not there to go. Ah, you had this when you were a kid, do this thing. It's fine. Yeah. So we're all panicking newly ourselves. So it's, should I go to the ER? Is urgent care fine? Or can I stay home? It's great for telehealth. There is the visually diagnosable, a pink eye or something, a rash, Corey is like, I'm really familiar with that, that I can diagnose and treat this. That's fine. And the other one is really values is, is the follow-up. I hauled all three of my kids in yesterday. I don't want to come back, but you already did all the hands-on bodies, data collection. I just had a follow-up. So you don't really need to have me come back. So again, it's where I mentioned, it's this really useful tool to have. It will not dramatically change the way pediatric care is provided. I think in adult care, which is basically the way, one, I'm reactive about my own care. I'm not actively striving for the best development, although I should be. Um, and often it's like, it's probably annoys doctors who treat adults. It's like, I'm kind of self-diagnosed. I'm coming into the visit going like, this is what I want. Just do the thing. So WebMD me. tells me that. Yeah. I'm right. Or just, I, you know, I've done this, my back hurts. Like I just need this or this treatment. Refer me to a PT, send me a prescription. It's just yeah. so different the way we think about our care versus the way that we want it for our kids. Mm. We saw the highest peak utilization were licensed in 14 states to do remote care. Highest utilization of that was inverse to in-person visits during COVID. Like during the most lockdown, telehealth spiked, our in-person dropped. Our now telehealth is down to like very few patients a day. And our in-person visits are back up to pre-COVID levels. One, although case counts are spiking, people are just sort of, one, I think probably relaxing what they're doing. But two, it's getting into peak flu season or mm -hmm. beginning of flu season, which is our seasonal peak. Um, and the in-care experience is still far superior to anything that telehealth could do for kids. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, I, I'm the same way between me and my kids. Like me, I'm just, I, I don't need to do anything. My kids are <laughs> dropping a bucket. I want to take them somewhere. So, yeah. well, you know, I always like to wrap up just with, with Portland. And in regards to business, running a company from, from here – expanding it from here, getting capital from here. I know it's a lot of questions about it, but what's both of your thoughts just being based here and starting a new company um, and, you know, operating it from here? Pros, but, you know, headwinds or challenges we have being in a mid-market. Yeah, I um, mean, oh, you Darius, you, you go ahead and answer that first and I'll, yeah. Okay, we'll see, what, we'll see how much I cover what you're going to say. Mm -hmm. I, I think what's been useful for us in Portland is that it wasn't particularly like the perfect market to go to. Um, it is a mid-market tier two, not in a derogatory term way, but it's a smaller city. It's often where maybe, you know, whereas a tier one city where some of our investors are also from San Francisco's and New York's, it's not the right market for us to go to. That's where people are deferring career or families for careers. Hmm. You want to go to places that are more family oriented. Portland's a good example of that, but it's by far not the best. But what's been great to have started here is that it's a good microcosm of almost the whole country. We're very much living in a red and blue world right now, and it's a you know blue island in a in a red state. It's not very far to to dramatically mix the kind of you know uh, financial landscape for what families have. So we really get to see a mix, hmm. and we're trying to build a product for the entire country. So I'm not only targeting affluent people who can pay us concierge fees. We really want to make this available to everybody. So I think it's been a a really good opportunity to start something. Uh, that can be an example for the whole country. 
I think for us, starting with two children's hospitals in town, one that has a pediatric focused urgent care, we're getting to start with some competitors in the landscape. So it wasn't this, well, it only worked here. It yeah. was, well, even if there were other options, Zoom care I go to as an adult. So there, there is kind of after hours and it gave us a good competitive opportunity to make sure that our product was superior and that we could really deliver amazing care. Capital from a startup perspective is honestly harder to raise in Portland. I am also an angel investor and I, my greatest value for my portfolio companies is often helping being a bridge to better markets for raising seed stage capital. Portland is improving, but it's still a lot harder. You need a lot more proof points to get an investor in Portland comfortable based on if you're from the Bay Area. Like, yeah. cool, what are you trying to do? Here's my angel check. Um, so the vast majority of our funding has come from outer markets, um, mostly San Francisco, New York, who also have a good amount of investors from. Um, so it's, you know, okay. challenges, but I think a really perfect opportunity for us to start building something that matches the whole country. Yeah, and it's proof that both of you are living here, right? I mean, you go maybe go back and forth between Hawaii, maybe a little bit, but I mean that says a lot. So, Corey, what what about you as someone who's you know operating a company, but also you know doing your 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 you know your work as a physician? So, yeah, I mean, I you know I was born and raised in the Pacific Northwest, and um, you know it's just a it's just, it's a great spot to to be at. Um, you know, the, the only thing I'll say, uh, I guess, about business is that. Um, Every single day that goes by, I am so happy that I met Darius. Uh, and not only that I met Darius, but that he's so amazing at what he does and like a genuinely good and nice person because I was struggling hard before I met him because guess how much like intro to business classes I had in medical school, like zero, right? <laughs> and so, I, I mean, I, I in this day and age, I mean, unless you really know what you're doing, um, it's amazingly hard to hang out a shingle. I mean, you could be you could be the best at your job, but if you're not super savvy with the marketing and and fundraising and all this other stuff, you're you're hosed, you know. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, I guess the thing that I like most about running a company here is that Darius also lives here and is really good at running a company, so I don't have to worry about it. And the only thing I do have to worry about is how to, um, you know, we, we provide um, excellent medical care for kids. I think that shows in our provider NPS scores. It shows in our patient NPS scores, um, which is always, you know, floating right around 100. Um, oh, wow. You know, I, these guys all laugh at me, but I get stressed out when it goes to like 95, you know, because I'm like, well, that's not an A plus anymore. That's only an A. Like, what am I going to do? But, um, you know, so they all sort of chuckle and, you know, it's like pat me on the shoulder and be like, it's fine, you know. So um, I, I guess uh, my, you know, the, the thing that I, you know, get to focus on now is just how do we take this amazing thing that we've built and how do we maintain that culture both internally and externally and how do we grow and scale that over time because if we get to you know 20 50 100 when we get to 20 50 and 100 clinics uh it's you know and and we're you know and, and we're only providing like three star level of care that's not a win for me and nobody else in the company would consider that a win so we need to be able to provide you know five star healthcare experience for kids and families across you know a, a national level of scope, I guess you could say. So, so that's what I get to focus on, but I also like that. I love that. I don't have to worry about uh, the marketing pieces so much and all these things that I'm not good at, because if I got involved, it would just be like worse, you know? <laughs> well, it sounds like a great partnership and, you know, thanks 
both of you. Bravecare.com, I believe Northeast and Southeast right now. So I'm just really excited to follow along and see how you grow and uh, just appreciate it. We look Thanks. forward to seeing you and your children in clinic for positive reasons. Positive so, reasons, yeah. yeah. <laughs> my, my son's a little bit of a daredevil. He's five, so yeah. What yep. are you going to do? <laughs> yeah, we got well, you. You'll ensure that the care is never more traumatic than what brought him in in the first place, and we'll take good care of him. So I love appreciate that. your time. All right, yeah. thanks. Thanks, Dan. The PDX Executive Podcast is a production of ThatCast, a Portland, Oregon podcast agency that partners with brands to create custom podcasts. You can learn more at thatcast.com. And please take a moment to subscribe and rate the podcast as well.